Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today's guest is reimagining the way legal professionals work as we explore new frontiers in technology. We're speaking with Ilona Logvanova of McKinsey & Company. Ilona is Managing Counsel for McKinsey Digital and Head of Innovation for McKinsey Legal. After working as a corporate lawyer for several years, she joined McKinsey as a technology lawyer, a position which ultimately evolved into her current dual role. As Managing Counsel, she serves a more traditional in-house legal role for McKinsey's technology legal team. As Head of Innovation, she architects the innovation transformation journey for McKinsey's legal department a function that's still relatively new in the legal world. In our conversation, she discusses her fascinating work at McKinsey, the challenges of adopting legal tech, training generative AI tools, and the importance of human centricity in legal innovation. Alona is a frequent author as well. We've provided a couple of links to her posts, and I commend them to you. As always, thanks for listening. Alona, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making the time. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to it. I've been, as as I said offline, I've been reading the things you've been you've been writing your blog post and your articles, and you have such fascinating insights. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into them. Well, you're making me blush, but I'm so happy to talk about them. <laughs> this is my favorite topic of conversation. Well, let's start with a little context setting for our listeners. You are head of innovation for the legal department for McKinsey, as well as being associate general counsel. Give us the context for what the McKinsey Legal Organization looks like as a general proposition and what you do as head of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. So, and let let me just actually um, kind of set the stage for that a bit more. So my role is really interesting because this is a fairly new role, I think, in the legal industry, the innovation side of it. And I think especially in in in-house corporate departments, this is quite rare. I really do credit our general counsel, Pierre, you know, with his vision and his sense of working to reimagine how we practice and making sure that we practice with professionalism and passion and think about things differently and with an innovative lens. And so that's really how I came to have this role. And it is a dual role, like you mentioned. So on the one side of it, I am one of the leaders of our technology legal team. That's where I'm managing counsel for our technology legal team, McKinsey Digital to the outside world. And that's where it's a traditional in-house legal role, meaning that my clients, my business clients are the consultants, are McKinsey's consultants, and I am their lawyer on technology legal issues. On the other side of it, I'm the head of innovation for our legal function. And in that role, that's really where I get to join in and participate in and craft and architect the innovation transformation journey for our department and think about, you know, what does our practice look like? What kind of upskilling do we need across our department? What kind of legal technologies will we have? And what does our technology stack look like? Um, how does generative AI play into the work that we do and how how can we use it alongside the work that we do every day and make sure that we're using it efficiently and effectively. And of course, our people mission, right? How do we put clients at the center of our work? How do we prioritize ourselves and our own professional development while also prioritizing client service and focusing on client centricity? What's the business genesis of this this role? Because it, it is a relatively new role, relatively unusual in legal departments. And McKinsey obviously is known for its creativity and, and, and reimagining the future. So it fits within the culture of McKinsey for sure. But was there a particular 
thing that happened that caused the legal department to say, we need this role? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think I think what we saw in the industry is that law firms are starting to have a leader for this specific function. We're starting to see the rise of what's called the CEO, you know, for the C-suite, the chief innovation officer role and other similar roles. Sometimes law firms are calling it knowledge management or knowledge management and AI leader or knowledge and AI leader or knowledge and innovation. There's some combination of a number of things. I think more traditionally, historically in law firm settings, it's been called knowledge management. But I think where we've gotten to is that knowledge management became data, data became AI, AI became, you know, a broader innovation initiative. And so we're in this place now where, you know, law firms are starting to do this. And in-house departments, I think, are starting to think about innovation in the way that they practice and the way that they run their department, which is also connected to legal ops, because there's also an operational workflow component to it. And so it's really a field that is starting to have significant relevance in our profession, both in-house and within law firms. And again, you know, our leadership, our legal leadership saw that our global legal department happened to be quite innovative. We were energetic, we're experts in our fields, we're excited about the things that we do. We like to think critically about how we work and what we work on. And so it seemed like a natural progression to give us the opportunity to lean even more into that in a more structured way. And so now you have my role within our department, which is the head of innovation. We also have a head of legal ops, which is a role that has been there for some time. We have a head of legal technology and we have leadership for knowledge management. So a number of roles internally that are working together through a collaborative delivery model to really focus on advancing innovation in our organization. You listed off a number of functions that fall within your purview, any one of which are tremendously exciting opportunities, and they're all interrelated. But time is what it is. Resources are what they are. You can't do everything all at once. For our listeners who may have similar roles or thinking about creating similar roles and are figuring out where do I start, how do I set priorities, do you have a conceptual framework that you work from that that helps you decide what priorities and where are you going to focus first, where are you going to focus second? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, and it's one that I've been asked a few times, you know, over the past year, I've, I've participated in the thought leadership forums around legal innovation and responsible AI and basically the, the technology, legal and legal technology space. And I think there's two questions embedded in that. One is time management. And how do you make sure that you have enough time for everything that needs focus? My answer to that is I wake up pretty early. <laughs> you know, I start <laughs> pretty early on. I don't really know uh, how, how else to answer that. I get my best thinking and writing time in the morning. And that's, you know, the articles that I've written, they are my passion projects. These ideas made sense to me. And I think, you know, being part of that broader conversation, especially now for lawyers is critically important because we're all trying to figure it out. And so having that knowledge sharing and idea generation, art of ideas, art of the possible is a really important thing to do if you'd like to. And I do, I really enjoy that. The second piece of it is around prioritization. And I think that's a really interesting one. So there is tremendous white space in this in this area right now. It's not clear what needs to be done or how it needs to be done. And I think much of the time, really all of the time, it's organization and department specific. And so the way that it made sense to me was to put together a program thinking about our department, the identity of our department, the goals and ideas that we wanted to further as a legal department and as individual teams making up that legal department. But also, how do we further the initiative of the broader McKinsey organization? And how do we fit into that? 
And adjacent to that, how do we join the world of ideas as a legal industry, right? As a legal services player and as a participant and all of us as lawyers as being part of that broader legal ecosystem. What can we do and how can we do it? And so that's where I put together my program that, I, that I've also written about in terms of the various pillars of our innovation transformation journey of which legal tech is a part of it. What I would say in, in those who are considering it and thinking about prioritization and priorities and strategic priorities is to really think about where they'd like to go. The way that I did it actually, and this, this is really, this is truly what I did. This is not an exaggeration is I sat down, um, so I, I took on this role about a year and change ago. It was a, you know about 15 months or so ago. And around that time, I sat down and I wrote a press release of what the end of my first year in this role would look like. And it was basically a Law 360 article, right? And it was highlighting all of the achievements that I would get through through this year, drawing upon where we were as a legal department, you know, where we had gotten to at that time. And it was written in the voice of a reporter who has reported on some of our work and it really outlined it. And so I said, okay, well, this is the vision. This is where I'd like to get to in a year. And so working from that, how do I get there? And how do I you know, frame the pillars so that if this is what we're proud of, how can we put together the elements of how we get there and the roadmap of how we get there? And from there, I mapped a timeline and I put it together and, um, and pieced it together from there. Okay, now you know I've got to ask. You went back a year later and looked at the article. How do you, what kind of grade did you give yourself in terms of how many objectives did you hit? We were pretty much there to, you know, we were That's really, great. we really closely hit on, I would say we started all of it in terms of how we define success through each of those points, right? I think maybe a B plus or an A minus if I'm being generous. And I think that's pretty good. That's excellent. Most of us should be so so fortunate <laughs> to achieve our objectives at set, set a year out. Let's back up a second because I presume you didn't go to law school with the goal to be the head of innovation for McKinsey's legal department, as fabulous as that role sounds. Talk to us a little bit about your path. You go to law school. Why, why did you want to be a lawyer? You know, I wanted to be a lawyer. I was a philosophy major undergrad. Economics and philosophy is what I studied. I think there's something really beautiful about abstract space and thinking through how you can construct ideas and really move the needle in, in a societal way through the construction of ideas. And if we look at Supreme Court opinions, I think that's what they do. We are essentially at the highest court of the land where the law has run out. And what they're doing is they're constructing arguments based on logical reasoning, based on ideas, and based on a projection of how our society should operate. And to me, that was really powerful. And, you know, before law school, I was interested in the law, really kind of the operating system of our society, which I think the law functions as and how I can engage with that. And in law school, I just, you know, I, I was very nerdy about thinking all of that was very, very cool. But I also wanted to get really good training. And I thought that the way to do that was to be part of a, a law firm, larger law firm environment, right? And to be able to take that path and have the real ground level training and, and figure it out from there. And so when I came out of law school, it was a bit of a it was a difficult time. The waters were choppy. It was right around the financial crisis around 2008, 2009 was my recruiting year. And so things were a little, you know, hectic. So I had a few different jobs, but essentially where I grew up as an associate was at Freed Frank. And I was a, a finance associate for about four years before I left to go in-house. And I, I really enjoyed it. 
But what I realized is that I was really interested in technology and I thought technology was kind of the wave of the future. And I wanted to learn more about that space. And that's when I went in-house and um, at MasterCard and then McKinsey. What sparked the interest in technology? It just seemed fascinating. You know, this was right around the time, this was 2018, when AI was just starting to be part of the vernacular around how we work and how we live and, you know, really our world. And I just, I think, again, as a philosophy major, I think AI is just entirely fascinating. And so being able to work with technologies and thinking through, you know, being a technology lawyer and really not having any answers. And so having to think through a lot of different perspectives and ideas in order to be able to give guidance to clients, right? And to do the work that we do, I thought that was really, really interesting. So you you wind up at McKinsey and they come to you and they say, would you be head of legal innovation? It was, yeah, it was, so I, I was at McKinsey, you know, being more of a traditional technology lawyer. And I don't even know if there is something traditional in that space. It's just such a fast moving, fascinating space to be in. And I, I love the work that I do, but I think innovation sort of evolved organically, you know, in, in working with legal leadership and Pierre's vision for our department, this opportunity was just fantastic when it came about and working through moving it forward was really, really interesting to me. And so having these two jobs, I really get to do both. I get to be a technology lawyer, but also focus on innovation. I'm very jealous. <laughs> it is a really cool gig. Yeah. So there's an element of change management in all of this innovation effort. Clearly, you've got the support of, of leadership of uh, McKinsey generally, as well as the legal department, which is a critical component in any change management program. But, and I suspect you've got more lawyers who are less resistant to being resistant to change. That's a terrible way to ask that question at McKinsey than other places. But still, change is not the easiest thing to make happen. What have been your challenges in that respect and how have you overcome them? Yeah, I think, I think that's the question of the moment you know, across organizations who are starting to think about innovation in the legal industry and also adoption of new technologies and what their roadmap for technology pilots and adoption and implementation looks like. For us, it's been, I mean, our legal department, we're very lucky. We do have a really engaged, thoughtful group of lawyers across the world. We're, we're about 270 across the world, our legal department. And, you know, it's never easy because we're all busy. And so adoption of new technologies and new processes and new learning of new skill sets, it takes an interest um, and it takes some degree of inspiration, I think, and tactical implementation. So the way that we've tried to roll it out is really through having discussions at the town hall, department town hall level to say, this is what we're introducing. This is why we're introducing it. This is why you can get excited about it. And this is what it will do for you. But on the back end, exploring it very thoughtfully and making sure that our pilots are structured in a way where we are really assessing the readiness of any new technology in terms of coming into our department and really thinking about what adoption will look like, making sure that we have a way to test it in a way that's representative for our department. And failing fast is a success for us. So if we can assess something quickly and make sure that we don't run, run into pilot fatigue with our lawyers, that's critically important. We don't want a group of people testing something that doesn't seem like it has potential. So I would say we're still very much on this journey. I think most organizations are, and if they're not, they're really just probably starting the journey. But it's about finding a structure that gives you an opportunity to assess what you're doing and how you're doing it 
making sure that you're measuring and identifying what success looks like. Because if you don't know what success looks like, you can't measure against anything really. And then have a group of people who are genuinely engaged. And we're lucky to have that. I think every organization has a small subset at this point of lawyers, of professionals, legal professionals that are really interested in this stuff. And I think that's where you can tap into what success for your organization can be if those are the people who are doing your pilots and they're helping you think through a lot of these questions, no matter how junior or senior they are, I think you're much better set up for success. No, absolutely. Let me sort of turn the conversation a little bit, focus on a couple of articles you've written over the last year. You've written a number of articles and I I recommend them to anybody who's listening. Um, These these two in particular stood out to me and, and we'll put links in the show notes. So for those of you listening, just go to the show notes and you'll see links to these. First one I ask you about is the one you wrote for the McKinsey blog back in May of, of last year. It's got a long title, but it's Legal Innovation and Generative AI, Lawyers Emerging as Pilots, Creators, etc. You hit on some fascinating points there. Two threads I'd like to pull on are you, you made the point of the needing, needing to train senior lawyers to operate as pilots with generative AI with new technology. I'd like you to talk a little bit about what you what you mean by that. And then the second one is for junior attorneys, how do we train them? How do we how do we grow them up to become successful senior attorneys? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Take take them in whatever order mm-hmm. makes sense to you. Yeah, I think this is such an interesting moment for the way that we learn to be lawyers and the way that we practice being lawyers. And what I mean by that is that our profession historically is built on an apprenticeship model. And the point that we're at now is that we really need to rethink training and what kind of training makes a successful lawyer. But we have to take into that analysis the role of technology because technology also needs to be trained. It needs to be trained on training data. It needs to be trained on our patterns of behavior, our contracts, our documents that we've anything that we feed into it, it needs to be trained to help us do our work better, but it can also teach us. And so we have this opportunity to be part of this real cyclical sort of, you know, but also advancing motion of how we work with technology. But importantly, the pilot point is that we need to be the pilot. I think the way to think about these assistive technologies, the generative generative AI legal technologies that are coming to the forefront is that these are our right-hand tools. They are the co-pilot sitting in the cockpit with us, right? They are there to help. They're there to do. They can do quite a bit in terms of easing our workflows and making things more efficient. But the pilot always needs to oversee the work effectively. And I think this is where the training gets interesting because there are a lot of arguments that I've heard around, well, you know, if we if we really don't need to do the work of very junior associates, first or second year associates, how is it that we then get the third year associate, the successful third year associate? And I really reject that argument because I think the exercise right now is the reimagination of the training that we need in order to be better lawyers. I think the exercise is not how do we emulate the rote, repetitive work that we all train on in order to then get the higher order work that actually has us use our judgment. It's how can we sharpen our judgment using these technologies for simulation, for training, for the skill sets that we need to develop in order to use that higher order judgment and reasoning at the higher levels of legal services, how can we use technology to help us do that? I think if we think about it in an analogous way, think about the education system. There are a lot of arguments right now being made around 
we see that certain students are using chat GPT or certain technologies to do their homework or something to that effect. You know, they're, they're quote unquote cheating on their homework. And I don't actually, I think that in its own right, yes, there are ethics issues associated with that, right? No one should be cheating on their homework. But I think the exercise to fix that is not to ban generative AI technologies. I think it's the reimagination of how students learn. And I think if you use technology and incorporate it into doing your work or into doing your homework, you can learn so much more and and you can really get more breath into the exercise. I'll make one more point, which is there is a distinction, I think, between junior and senior lawyers and how they can use this. I think there's real power in these technologies from a creative strategist perspective. Generative AI is really good at being creative. And so I think at the senior levels of, of lawyering, at the partner or, you know, leadership level or senior counsel level, you can really use these technologies to get creative and to help you get creative, to think of a really novel precedential argument or to think about, you know, how you can structure debt in a certain transaction. Of course, oversight is key. At the more junior levels, you know, it can be more process driven and it can help you automate a lot of things that can then free up your time for higher level reasoning and application of your developing legal skills. But of course, again, supervision is key and you have to make sure that you're overseeing the work. You have a wonderful uh, sentence in this article on this point where you said the best tech lawyers and more broadly lawyers really are the ones who can see the bigger picture, frame the problem statement in the right way and put it all in context, which I think captures this idea fabulously in a very concise, articulate way. As you're advising, if, if, you've, if we've got senior lawyers listening in to the podcast who are wondering how does this change their responsibilities, you want your young lawyers to do exactly that, what I just quoted from your article of saying you want them to see the big picture, frame the problem statement, put it all in context. We've defaulted to a task-based, as you pointed out, task-based training system. Go look at these documents How does the nature of training in sort of a day-to-day way, recognizing that senior partners in law firms, senior lawyers in legal departments perhaps aren't the best at training (laughs) and developing people? Some are, some aren't. How does their day-to-day responsibility change? This is a really tough question. And the way that I like to think about it is to ask the question, what does the second, third, and fourth year associate of 2026 and 2027 look like? And I think that's an imaginative exercise, but it has real practical implication because to get there, we need to get through these next two years or next three years, whatever it is. And then we have to think about what does it take to make up that skill set? How can we break it down? How can we address the buildup of those skill sets in a way that makes sense? And I think training and development is a really tough job, but legal departments typically invest in their training and development programs. And it doesn't just have to be the apprenticeship model. It doesn't just have to be the senior lawyer who is training the junior lawyer. There could be collaborative models of how lawyers are trained. It can be in part simulation exercise. It can be in part, you know, simulated client learning opportunities or maybe, you know, series of questions that generative AI gives to the lawyers, right? I think there's no shortage of imagination that can be injected into the process. And I think if the question is how can leadership within law firms or more senior lawyers make time for this, I think the answer is maybe maybe they delegate it. Maybe they're part of the idea generation, but maybe they're not the ones who execute on it. And maybe that's their answer. But I think not thinking about it is the one uh, approach that I would stay away from. I'm curious as your thoughts as to what this means for law schools and law school curriculum. I, I know that's not 
technically within your scope at McKinsey, but I'm sure you've given this thought as well because it's the feeder pipeline into law firms and the legal departments. Yeah, absolutely. I think we really need to feed this kind of new thinking and reimagination into the foundational layer of lawyers and how they develop. And I think doing this at the law school level is critical. It's not uniform yet, but it is starting to take shape. So certain law schools are really good at this. So for example, Penn Law is really great at this. And their former chief innovation officer, Jennifer Leonard, she has She's fabulous, been. isn't she? Phenomenal. Exactly. And she really, she is such a beautiful thinker on these issues. And she really, she held a beautiful conference at Penn Law that I attended, um, which was called Law 2030 about two years ago. And she just is really at the forefront of this movement, I think, and other law schools are starting to catch on. But there is a movement, which is already a good sign. And I think the more that we can do on a practical level in terms of introducing generative AI technologies into the practice of law, right? The same way that we saw Westlaw and and Lexis be introduced back in the day, you know, so that we didn't have to spend all of our time sifting through the library. This is really a similar analysis and a similar application. Absolutely. Let me move to the second article that, that caught my eye. You wrote it for Bloomberg back in October of last year. I think the title is something like Dedication and Passage are Key Drivers of Legal Innovation. And you had a quote in there that really jumped out at me as sort of capturing so many things, where you say, legal innovation is a human-centered approach to reimagining our profession. There's so much to unpack in that simple sentence. You know, what innovation means? What do you mean by human-centered? How do you get people to reimagine and the profession as opposed to the business of law? Sort of unpack that sentence for a little bit. What messages are you trying to communicate? Exactly. Yeah. So I think human centricity at this point is really important. With all of the technology that we're seeing come to the forefront, focusing on the human-centered approach to the way that we work, the way that we interact as people and as lawyers is it's just paramount. And without that, we get lost in what the technology can do. Will will AI replace lawyers, right? Will we sort of see a moment where AI overtakes what we do and, and replaces us? And I think if we can keep everything with the right perspective and focusing on a human-centered approach to our perspective on how we relate with these technologies, it's just going to be a much better journey all around. You know, the more that we treat AI as people, I I have this this strain of thought where I really think that we should train AI the way that we raise humans, right? Little tiny humans. And we develop their skill set. We show them that speaking nicely to one another is a good thing. So always say please and thank you to Alexa or whatever home device you might have, home connected device. We train these technologies to integrate into our lives. And we also focus on the work that we do with empathy. So in medicine, there used to be this way of working called narrative medicine, and it focused on literature and medicine and how you identify more closely with the patient and really put the patient at the center of how you analyze their symptoms rather than sort of the textbook definition first. I think there's a really powerful analog with the law because What we tend to do is that we focus on the technicality, and this is where design thinking and Jen Leonard's work is is really beautiful and the application is powerful because we think about the technical problem, but we don't focus enough on how that technical problem affects the actual client or their circumstance. And if we take that human-centered approach, then our problem statement might shift. So design thinking for anyone who's sort of new to the field or or isn't too familiar 
Design thinking teaches us a way of framing a problem statement. And through framing that problem statement, we are focused on the human at the center of that problem statement. And the idea is that you can have a broader class of solutions as a result of framing that problem statement in the right way, and that you can then design a better solution more tailored to that human at the center of that problem statement. And that's a really powerful thing. I think as lawyers, we tend to not think in these ways. We don't think of ourselves as designers. We don't think of ourselves as content creators, but we are all of those things. And the more that we assert that and that we practice that and take that shape, I think the better off we'll be and the better off our clients will be too. How do we get lawyers to think in that way? You're preaching to the choir on this one, but it's not intuitive to lawyers who are trained as technicians who see that as their job. How do you get people to want to make this leap? Because it's incredibly satisfying when you make the leap. Exactly. And I think we can we can learn by doing, right? Modeling behavior is really powerful. So if if we start doing it, then more junior lawyers will follow. I think pulling the curtain back on value drivers is also really important. So I think as we continue to move forward with what our industry is becoming and not all too slowly, we'll see that we do need a broader skill set to do the work that we do. And we do need to reimagine the deliverables that we give. I think we have to reimagine certain more traditional forms of communication, like the long form memo, right? Maybe it becomes a form of data visualization or something like that. But I think there is a lot of opportunity to show that there is value creation and clients, in my view, I think clients and consumers of legal services will start to look for that more and more. Absolutely. I know we're running a bit over time, but if you've got time for one more question. Of course. Yeah. So when you took the job, you wrote a memo to yourself as to what it looked like at the end of the year. Did you do the same thing as you moved into this year? What it looks like at the end of 2024? You know, that's such a great question. I didn't do another press release. I did it for last year. But what I do now is I do more sort of short form projections for the year. So now that I have my overarching program, I kind of separate the year into quarters and think about what I want to hit in each quarter and do it that way. So there is a map, there is a vision board, just not in the form of a press release this year. What particular initiative or, or, or goal you set for yourself, if you can tell us, has you most excited? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this one, this one is easy and most exciting. I think getting our technology stack right from a generative AI perspective is the leading priority. And I'm deeply, you know, I'm really working on that right now, along with other wonderful leads in our department in terms of thinking about how we get the right technologies to augment, accelerate and empower the work that we do. It's a fascinating time, isn't it? It is. It really is. Well, listen, this has been a wonderful conversation. I could continue it for for hours, but I want to be respectful of you and our listeners' time. Uh, Alona, thank you so much for the conversation. And uh, we'll, we'll keep looking for your fabulous writings. <laughs> thank you so much for the very high compliment. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.